0: I don't care what any pastor, any Christian, any Bible teacher, anyone in leadership or who serves in any church, I don't care what they may do, I don't care how well you may teach the Bible, I don't care how much money you may give, I don't care how faithful you attend, if you are not involved in the process, at least trying to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, then you are out of fellowship with the living God.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible-teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Broge. Dr. Broge is senior pastor at Beaufort, South Carolina's Community Bible Church. We've been studying the last chapter of the book of 2 Timothy. In our passages from verses 1 through 4, we sense the urgency of the Apostle Paul, as he knows his time is at hand, but also knows a time is coming when preachers will distort the Word of God. And so, in an effort to maintain the truth, Paul urges Timothy, as he urges all pastors, to stay true to the Word of God. As we join Dr. Brogy for the conclusion of our message entitled, How to Live in Difficult Days, he reads from 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, which addresses the fact that the day will come when men will only listen to what they want to hear regarding spiritual matters.
0: So Paul says, wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own lusts. Now underscore that they, congregations, he's speaking of entire congregations, will accumulate for themselves as churches, teachers, according and according to their own desires or lusts. You have a picture here of congregations making decisions as to the kind of preachers they want. See, they don't first go and listen to the preacher and decide whether or not they like him. The thrust of this verse is they first decide what they want to hear, and then they go and choose a preacher who will give them what they want to hear. So if the people want to to worship a golden calf, then they'll get themselves a golden calf preacher. And so much in our day... The pulpit has just become a sounding board reflecting back what it is that the people want to hear, not what it is that they need to hear. And so the man of God very often today is rejected, while the religious entertainer has growing numbers in so-called conversions. And what we've done today is displeasing to God. People are looking for men who will just tell them what they want. So Timothy, you're to be different. But you, Timothy, you must be different. Preach the Word of God because men will not want to hear the truth. They'll want their ears tickled. Preach the Word of God because they'll choose bad teachers, teachers in accordance to their own desires. Preach the Word of God, third, because men will embrace myths. Look at verse four. Men will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now notice the repetition of the word ears here found within two verses. I have them both circled in my Bible. He moves from tickling ears now basically to stopped ears. People who have stopped their ears, they say, I don't want to hear it. People like that who come here on Sunday, they think, man, broke you. I don't want to hear it. I don't like, he doesn't make me feel good when I come. Now, there may be times when you come and you feel good, but listen, the Bible is not all roses and walking through the tulips. Sometimes there's some thorns we got to walk through and some hard truths that we need to present. So they stop their ears to sound Bible teaching and they open their ears to people who relieve it with a tickle. I want to tell you, it's a short step from stopping your ears to truth and opening your heart to myths. Man-made fables that will not convict people of sin or make them want to repent. Now the devil is so clever and so subtle. He knew that he could not get evangelicals to question the inerrancy of the Bible So he's gotten the evangelical church in America to question, in essence, the sufficiency of the Bible. And so what happens is in this new seeker-sensitive movement, we are seeing entire congregations weakened. And while the short-term results are impressive, the long-term results will be horrible. Because what will happen, History repeats itself. What will happen is before long, you will have doctrinally weak people. You'll have many people who are just professing Christians, but who are really not truly genuinely born again. And when you have congregations that are weak like that, it opens the door to all kinds of falsity. And that's why good, solid churches can go liberal. That's why good, solid, straight denominations can basically depart from the truth. Now, understand that most cultists actually at one time were church members. Um, For a moment here, look at this word here, myth, in verse 4. It's fables in the old King James. The Greek word is mythos. We get our word directly from it. And it was used in both biblical and classical literature of a manufactured story that had no basis of fact whatsoever. And if you know Greek and Roman history, you know that they had a history filled with mythological stories of these false gods whom they worshipped, whom they basically explained all of life with. But we have myths in our day. For instance, we have the Mormon myth. We have this angel Moroni, sounds like moron to me, but this angel Moroni came to Joseph Smith and told him about these secret tablets in the ground and gave him these supernatural spectacles that he could put on so he could read this form of hieroglyphics and interpret it. And thus, the Book of Mormon. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian science, she said, God spoke to me and revealed to me that all sickness is just a problem in the mind. That mind over matter, mind over sickness can change anything. Anne Lee, the founder of the Shakers, said it was revealed to her that she was a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. A form of godliness, but they have rejected its power. This week, um, I read an article in the paper. Actually, I didn't read it in the paper. My wife emailed it to me. Uh, Sometimes she'll clip articles or give me notes, and they'll just sit on my desk, and I won't read them. And so now she's got a new strategy. She emails them to me. And sometimes she does it under the guise of a love letter, you know. And In either case, I opened this one up, and, and there was an article in there. And it was uh, about a new television show that NBC has just come out with this fall, starring a fellow named Carlson, uh, Carson Cressley, and it's called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And these are five homosexual men. And what was so grievous? What was so grievous was to read in the article of little boys asking for their autographs. Boy, well, I hope you've got a guard and governor on your television at your home. If you're letting your children watch these kinds of you know what the devil's doing? He's just breaking down the next generation further. He's just making this kind of behavior, this kind of perversion, totally acceptable. And the star of the show, and this really got me. He said the last sentence of the article, and I quote, We are doing the work of the Lord. I'm here to be His servant. A form of godliness, but they have denied its power thereof. Understand, it's not simply out there somewhere. It's right here in our own county. In a recent controversy that has come to the Episcopal Church through the ordination of the Reverend Gene Robinson, the first openly gay bishop, the Beaufort Gazette ran an article getting various pastors' responses. The Reverend Richard Lindsay The senior pastor of All Saints Episcopal Church on Hilton Head, he said he was happy about the decision because he called homosexuality, quote, the last taboo. He said, and I quote, for the first time in a long time, I'm not fearful of what I believe. I'm pretty proud of the Episcopal Church. I'm proud of our history. I'm proud of who we are. See, that's belief founded not in scripture, but in math. Another gentleman on Hilton Head, a Mr. Mark Goodman, who professes to be gay, says, quote, it's not a mental disorder. It's genetic. It's just natural. Friend, homosexuality is not genetic. It is sin. You see, what's happening in Christian circles is more and more people have family members and cousins and brothers and sisters who've adopted this kind of lifestyle. And it's so heartbreaking to think that these people somehow are lost and we really don't want them to go to hell, and so many of them profess some kind of Christianity. But friend, their deeds deny, as Titus 1.15 says, their profession. Now look, there's hope for the homosexual, and we're glad for homosexual people who come. I had a man here last week after I preached, and I could tell he was under conviction, but he was glad he came, and I reminded him there was hope that in Jesus Christ he could have a new birth, that he could be a different person, that God in his grace could, could save him. The article goes on to say Goodman and his partner of five years attend the Unity Church of Hilton Head Island, led by the Reverend Lance Livesey. Goodman chose the Unity Church because it welcomes all people equal in the eyes of the Lord, regardless of gender, race, or sexual orientation understand friends this is not some kind of gender racial issue this is not some minority issue he's trapped in another false cult that of course denies all of the major fundamental doctrines of the faith and i prayed for this man this week i thought about this man i said oh god help him open his eyes to the truth another episcopalian quoted in the same article a miss nancy goodman pleased again with the election results she said the bible is full of contradictions I don't think you can pick your sins. When we start to pick our sins, we become the judges. And it's not for us to judge. It's up to God on that last day. I believe you were born that way. God just makes you that way. Paul says they will stop their ears to truth. And they will embrace myths. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And ladies and gentlemen, may I announce to you that day is here and it is here in full fury. That is the day that we live in, the day of myth. Whether it's the Mormon myth, or the evolution myth, or the new morality myth, or the gender blending myth, or the so-called all, you, all religions of the world are to be united myth, whatever the myth, when it's outside of the realm of holy scripture, that's all it is. It is myth. It is fable. It is wrong. But understand, the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not a book of myths. It's not a book of fable. It is a book of truth. It is historical. It's authoritative. It is the word of God. So, we've thought our way through this this morning. First, there's the mandate with the charge. What is it that you are to do, Timothy? Preach the word urgently, revealingly, patiently, doctrinally. We've considered the motivation for the charge. Why are we to do it? Answer, we're to preach the word of God because men won't want to hear truth. Because men will choose for themselves bad teachers, and they will embrace myth instead of the word of God. And Timothy, if you preach it, you'll win some. And then having given the mandate and the motivation, Paul goes on to give the method of the charge. How is it that you're to do it, Timothy? How are you to react to such things? Well, one might conclude with society being in such desperate shape that it might just be better for the preacher to be quiet. I mean, if men can't hear the truth, if they stop their ears, if they just want tickling doctrines, maybe we who believe the Bible ought to just fold our hands and be quiet. No, Paul comes to the exact opposite conclusion. Look how verse 5 begins with a very strong contrast. But you, but you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now this is the third time in the letter that these words, but you, two monosyllables in the Greek, suder, appear. I have them and I've had them there for some time on the lamp of my study. Those two Greek words posted because they're an incredible encouragement to me as a pastor and just as a Christian. But you, you could translate it, you, but you, it's, it's emphatic in the Greek. You, of all people, be sober in all things. Timothy, it doesn't matter what other people may be doing. It doesn't matter what the prevailing winds of the day may be. You, Timothy, are to be sober in all things. You are to be loyal to your high and holy calling to preach the Word of God. It doesn't matter what the air-tickling sermons that may be coming down the pike from the lost, liberal, lying preachers of our day. You, Timothy, are to shut them up by preaching the Word of God. And so while these false teachers preach their minds, what people want to hear, and so shut their ears to the truth and embrace myths, Timothy is to be different. And he spells out that difference in four specific ways. He gives in this verse four pithy little statements of how it is that he is to carry this out. First, we are to be sober in all things. Verse five says, but you be sober in all things. Four pithy little statements. Now, we've met this word sober before in the pastorals. We've seen it all over these three letters about sober young men, sober older men, sober younger women, sober older women. About those who are to fill the office of elder, that they are to be sober. And once again, he uses it here of the preacher. It's the opposite of being drunk. Because people get intoxicated on bad doctrine is no excuse, Timothy, for you to be anything but sober. The word literally means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness. And what people need to hear, Timothy, is not the novelty of the day. They need to hear truth. You know, every week, almost, almost every single week. I get, I mean, I get so much mail from Christian organizations. I think, man, who's paying for all this stuff? But almost every week I get something telling me of some new method, some new technique, some new gimmick, that if I will institute it in the church, we'll be able to more effectively reach our community for Jesus Christ. If I will just do such and such and try so-and-so program, man, the world will change. And yet the instruction virtually never touches on the pastorals. Most of the church growth books that I bought don't say these basic things. Not at least the ones that have come out in the last two decades. Preach the word. That's what you need to do. That's the game plan, Timothy. Be sober. Be alert. Be sane. Don't let anyone throw you off kilter to get you to do something else. Secondly, we are to endure hardship. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship. We learn that timothy as a preacher in the second chapter is likened to a soldier and a soldier in active duty never has an easy time they don't go to bed at night in a comfortable air-conditioned room laying their head on a soft pillow their ground or their tent at best is their bedroom their kitchen very often it's just a meal out of a can hardship risk suffering that's part and parcel for the soldier in active duty So it is, Timothy, for the preacher, for the man, the woman of God, for the Christian who will take seriously his responsibility to teach the Word. He can expect opposition. He must be willing to suffer. Suffer with me, he said, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. But Timothy, listen, it doesn't matter what kind of opposition you face. You're not to trim the message. You're to preach it in its entirety. You're to endure suffering. Now, very often the suffering will come from a religious crowd. And we've already seen that this brutality that Paul spoke of in the third chapter will come from religious men who have a form of godliness, but who deny the truth thereof. It was a religious crowd, remember, that crucified our Lord, and very often it will be religious people who bear the broadband of Christianity, but are not born again, who will oppose God's men. So, Timothy, be prepared, endure hardship. You're to be sober, you're to endure hardship. Third, we are to do the work of an evangelist. Now this command, do the work of an evangelist, would remind Timothy that at the heart and soul of all ministry is that of bringing people to Christ. This does not mean that every sermon has to be a sawdust trail or a hellfire, damnation kind of sermon, because quite often God's people just need to be fed and edified. But it does mean that a preacher at the heart of all preaching desires to bring people to Christ. Paul says as if God were appealing, pleading, begging through me, we ask you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It means that when the church is scattered, the preacher as well will lead in bringing people to the Savior. Listen, if I don't reach out and try to bring people to Jesus Christ as a pastor, I'm not doing what God has called me to do. And I certainly can't ask you to do it either. Now, not every pastor has the same gifts, but every pastor is to have the same burden. Every Christian is to have the same burden of bringing people to the Lord. It's not simply an issue, Timothy, of preserving the gospel, of guarding the gospel, of suffering for the gospel. You need to preach it in the church, out of the church, when we're gathered and when we're scattered. And let me say this. I don't care what any pastor, any Christian, any Bible teacher anyone in leadership or who serves in any church, I don't care what they may do. I don't care how well you may teach the Bible. I don't care how much money you may give. I don't care how faithful you attend. If you are not involved in the process, least trying to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, then you are out of fellowship with the living God. I can tell you that because the Son of Man has come to save and to seek that which is lost. That's what makes God's heart tick. And when your heart is in fellowship with God's heart, then you're going to become a vessel by which you will reach out to a lost world. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Implication: If you are not fishing for men, you are not following Christ. And so, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Last, we are to fulfill our ministry again, because the people will the people will accumulate teachers in accordance to their own desires. You need to be all the more conscientious to continue and fulfill the ministry that God has called you to do. They may forsake your ministry, Timothy, for those preachers who will tickle their ears, but you still have a mandate to fulfill the charge that God has put on your life. And let me say, Timothy's ministry would not be exactly like Paul's, and Paul's would not be exactly like Timothy's, and my ministry will not be just like yours, and yours won't be just like mine, but both are important to the cause of Jesus Christ. There are no small or unimportant ministries if God has directed you to do it. Now we're going to study next time some of Paul's co-laborers who are mentioned in this chapter, people that you've never heard who are only mentioned once in all of the Bible, but they're mentioned because they were faithful to fulfill their ministry. A young preacher once complained to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher. He said, why don't I have a big church like you do? Spurgeon asked him, well, how many people do you preach to? He said, well, about 100 on Sunday. And Spurgeon solemnly said, that's plenty to give an account for in the day of judgment. Listen, it's not the size of your ministry. It's your faithfulness to that ministry. You say, I don't even have a ministry. Well, you need to get one because God's got a call in your life. And all of us can start somewhere. All of us can be involved in praying for this church and praying for this community and reaching out to people, yellow, white, black, whatever they are, and bringing them to Jesus Christ because that is the mandate of this church and every true Bible believing church. Now, let me leave you with two applications as we close. First, I want to remind you the darker the days, the darker the days, the brighter we are to shine. Now, in these four commands given to Timothy, Although the commands are different, really, they convey the same simple message. Though it will be difficult, perilous, hard in these last days, especially in the last of the last days, though it will be hard to even gain a hearing at times, Timothy, don't be discouraged. Don't let anyone deter you from the call that God has put on your life. The harder the times and the deafer the people, the clearer and more persuasive our message needs to be. We need to let our light shine because the darker the hour, the brighter the light. We don't need to be discouraged. We need to let our light shine in such a way that men will see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Now listen, we don't need to be holier than thou. We don't have to come alongside and condemn the people of this world. God has already put the mark of condemnation on every lost person. We need to stand for what's true. And we don't need to come in some self-righteous spirit. He said, let it shine. Don't let it glare. They need to see Christ, not the lampstand. They need to see Christ, the hope of glory, and all of His beauty and His majesty. Secondly, I would simply ask to those of you who know the Lord today, are you ready for the judgment seat of Christ? Are you ready? Because He is coming. And you will stand in His presence as I will If you know Christ, you'll stand there in heaven, and he will evaluate all of your service. And so if you're saved, is your life really counting for him and for his cause? I mean, what will really matter to you when you come to the end of your life? It certainly won't be how much you've accumulated, how many houses you own, how many cars you drive, how secure your retirement account may be. That will mean absolutely nothing to you in that day. It will not be the notoriety that you've achieved and how famous you are, how well-liked you were. It's neither fame nor fortune. The only thing that will matter to you is faithfulness. Because the Bible says it is a trustworthy statement. It deserves our full acceptance. God's desire is that a servant be found faithful. Are you faithful? That's what God looks at. He looks at the heart. D.L. Moody used to say, this life is short and will soon be passed. Only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. Are you making an eternal difference? Or are you just one of these Christians spinning your wheels, warming a pew, and not faithful anywhere in God's kingdom? Now let me say, if you're here today and you're trying to serve God and you have been saved, all of your service, the Bible teaches, will add up to a big zero. Because your service can save no one. Only Christ can save you. You must come to Him and embrace Him and His work on Golgotha for you to have forgiveness. Let's stand in prayer. Now, our Father, I thank You this morning for the opportunity to open Your Word to Your people. My own heart is challenged as I consider the solemn charge given in the presence of of God and of Christ, recognizing the coming of his kingdom, given to Timothy, but given to us as well. And Father, I thank you that you've given us a message to preach, that we're not like a ship without a compass, but you've given us a very clear way in which we should live and how we should respond. And I pray today, Father, for each one of us that have met Christ in salvation, that we would be unashamed of this book, that we would pray and ask you for open doors of opportunity, even this week, to preach it, to share it with men who are hungry, with men who are headed towards hell and need to be rescued, and with your people who need to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted with great patience and instruction. Now, Father, I recognize that even in a group this size, that there are some who are here who do not have the absolute assurance that if this were their last day on earth, that they would go to heaven, Friend, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ did everything for you. There's nothing that you can add to the gospel. The gospel, the Bible says, is that Christ died and was buried and was risen from the dead. And the Bible says the gospel is the power of God to save you. You cannot improve upon that sinless, perfect, holy blood that was shed there as a payment for your sin. And the only thing separating you from heaven is an act of faith. Faith is just simply taking God at his word. Without faith, the Bible says you'll never please God. You say, oh, pastor, I I think I'd go. I, I hope I'd go. Then you've not yet exercised true faith. If you can't say, I know I'm going, then basically you're calling God a liar and his word untrue. Because he said, if you will call upon his name today, he'll save you. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Faith just says, God, I believe what you said. Have you ever in faith called upon the name of Jesus Christ? Salvation is by grace through faith. Because of the grace shown there in Calvary, God allows you and privileges you to come to him through faith. But no one can open the door of your heart but you. Would you in simple faith today just say, Lord Jesus, save me. Father, help men and women and even young boys and girls to decide today for Christ. Help them today to make a decision, for tomorrow may be forever too late. By your spirit, we ask that today you would bring people to yourself,
1: that you would grow your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's study entitled How to Live in Difficult Days, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 2TM8. As we see our current day and time looking so much like the time Paul warns us about... We need to pursue truth in the pulpit for our own benefit as well as for the benefit of those who've not yet come to faith. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, Pastor Carl will begin the final message in our series from 2 Timothy. Join us then when we search the Scriptures.